This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Derby, you mentioned the club get relegated from the Premier League. You want to keep going even though they're in the Championship, but you've got a recurring knee injury that ends up calling time in your football career. How hard is it when it comes yeah. to retirement as a player? Because obviously you've got it in your mind. You still know how to play the game. Your, your, your mind reading the game the same way it always did, but your body's starting to, to break down, for want of a better phrase. Yeah. I think, that, I think because I was at that at that age in terms of you know I think I was coming for 37 36 37 when I was when I was looking at retiring I think it's 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 easier to accept you know the one thing I didn't want to do I didn't want to just keep playing for the sake of it and dropping down the divisions and, and knowing that you know you weren't uh, able to to play at a level that you you felt as if you wanted to so you know after having the discussion with with the manager at the time uh, Paul Jewell and, and his assistant Mark Seagraves and, and even the, the chief executive there um, I think it was um, Mr Pearson I think his name was um, they were they were great you know in, in, in terms of you know the advice that they, that they, they said you know, they wanted me to, to stay and see whether it got better but I knew it wasn't going to get better um, and then I, I, I decided that was it and um, luckily enough for me, you know, uh, I went into Everton, you know, a week later and by chance spoke with, you know, David was passing and he asked me, you know, what what, what to and I just said, you know, I'm just coming to get a, a signed shirt and then we had a conversation a couple of hours later about, you know, my ne- next steps, whether I wanted to go into coaching and he said, well, listen, there's a, there's a role here for you if you want to come in and do some coaching. So my retirement wasn't very long, really, <laughs> in terms of what you what you call a retirement. Um, and then that was the next part of, you know, going into the coaching side. Going into coaching, you start working with the under-21s at Everton. What was that experience like? Because I know, obviously, you, you spent time being the assistant manager for that team before then taking over as the manager of yeah. that side in your own right. Well, I think it, what, it, what it did, it gave me... It gave me an insight into into what was next, and um, David was really good from that point of view. You know, I was working alongside uh, Andy Holden, you know, Tattle that we used to call, uh, and he was brilliant with me. You know, he'd let me let me get on with it. He was there for you know basically just for me to ask advice, and if a, if a, if he had a a question, you know, he was listen. Just don't be afraid to ask. And he, he just let me get on with it. And it wasn't long before, you know, I think David pulled me in and said, listen, happy with what you're doing. Um, uh, I want to give you the, the role full-time in terms of under-23 manager. Taft's going to do a different role. Um, and, uh, you know, from, from there, I think it was 2008 to 2014, that I was, it gave me a, you know, a, a great base platform to, to move into the management side because you know come 2014 I, I felt as if I was ready to you know to make that make that step into into full time management. You mentioned the, full, the the step into full time management in Hibernian in Scotland. Hibs give you that opportunity in June 2014. The club's just been relegated, which was a big shock in Scotland because of, as you yeah. know and I know Hibs are a massive club. When Hibs contacted mm-hmm. you, was it something you were immediately interested in? Well, it was it, it, it all came about in terms of obviously I, I knew the job had come up, come up and um, I I asked my um, agent to put, to put my name in for it and and then I, then I got a, re- a response to say that they'd be interested to to speak to me and they spoke to an, an, a few others you know and don't know who they were but I met them I met Leanne and, and George in a hotel um, not far from the Manchester Airport. 
um, and literally had a had a, a, a very relaxed discussion with them uh, for about an hour, and then um, I left, and and then I think the following day or a couple of days later, I had a I had a call back to say that um, the job was mine. So then it was, you know, it was about going up and, and speaking to them, um, sorting out, you know, the concept, and then and then getting to work. But I think the good thing about it was that obviously you never want to go in when a club's just been relegated, and there was a lot of turmoil behind the scenes, you know, in terms of the fans with the club. They didn't feel connected to the club, you know. There was a lot of. Um, disruption in terms of and fan protests with you know trying to get the chairman Rob PT out at the time so people probably would have looked at him and thought why have you chosen that job but I just I felt you know comfortable with Leanne and George in terms of how they want to take the club forward um, it was a it was a blank blank canvas in terms of what we what we wanted to work and the ideas that we had to put down and you know, put the club, you know, basically give the club a DNA because I think the club, that was the one thing that, that didn't have it. It just brought in managers and they were left to their own devices rather than the club working off a structure where the, no matter what happened, nothing, it all doesn't come tumbling down when, when a manager leaves. Uh, and Liam and George and, and eventually Gray and Matty were very supportive in that way. Um and they were they were great to work with in the end. And luckily enough, you know we we had you know a fair degree of of success. Um, not necessarily in the first first season, but 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 certainly you know in the second season with with uh, with the Scottish Cup. The first season's obviously a strange season because Hibs go down, and normally if Hibs go down, yeah. you'd expect they'd be favourites to come straight back up. But it was no ordinary season having Rangers in the league, Hearts in the league as well. So three of the biggest clubs in Scotland being in the Championship was is something that when you, I think when lots of us in ten twenty years time look back at the history books, will be it'll be looked back on as a very interesting yeah. time for Scottish football. The second season I want to focus no, on with you because yeah. that season was, was incredibly successful in the domestic cup point of view. Fell ultimately a wee bit short yeah. with promotion, but you provided a moment that Hibs fans will never forget in that Scottish Cup win. But before we come to that, people forget you got to the League Cup final that year as well and that yeah. although you didn't go up, you challenged during your spell in Scotland in the in the Championship as a league as well. Well, uh, yeah, I think, you know, the... The first season was just about about building, you know, and Hearts had had a, had a march on on everybody in terms of they were all ready. They they brought all the young players through, and and they ended up you know romping the season really. You know, it was it was ourselves and Rangers. You know, even though Rangers were in a bit of bit of turmoil, obviously from going from going down to League Two and then coming up, the you know we managed to finish second that season. You know. Which was, I think, a lot of people were surprised considering what we've had to start with and and basically how how late we'd we'd have to we'd have to um, bring all our players in, you know, and get them all up and running. And it it wasn't it wasn't what we wanted, but it wasn't necessarily a bad season. And I think it gave a lot of people a lot of optimism and and and, and thought to think, oh, you know, the club could be on the way back here, and especially with some of the players that we'd signed and. The biggest disappointment was obviously the second season, even though I think the championship them two seasons was probably as strong as what it's ever seen in terms of the calibre of the clubs that were in them. Um, you know, we, we knew it was always going to be difficult to, to try and overcome Rangers in that second season because of just basically their spending power and the players that they could bring to the club. But we, we thought that we could we could challenge them, you know, and and it and it proved to be with you know in the four league games we 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 basically had we uh, two apiece where the Rangers won two and we'd won two. Um, we've got to the League Cup final uh, by beating you know a couple of Premiership teams on the way to that you know and unfortunately um, 
you know, we we were I feel as if we were by far the better team in the final, but we've made we've made two individual mistakes which cost us and you know, we lost that game two one. Um and then we, we go into the playoffs that, that season as you know, as as the favourites really to go up and I, I must admit looking back now and in the the first game probably affected us the most in terms of the game against Falkirk where at one point at home we're two one up and we, we, we don't get awarded the biggest stonewall penalty you'll ever ever come across to make it three one and, and we were really on the rampage at that time in the game and you know, it looked like potentially three one going on five one because we were so dominant and we weren't awarded it and Falkirk score literally the last kick of the game at home to make it two two. Um and we go to we go to the away leg and I think we go one nil up. Um Falkirk's equalise and then it looks like it's going to extra time and and literally with the last kick of the game, um Falkirk score the winning goal and we don't, we don't have time to to respond to that and I must admit there was a, a lot of disappointment with that because you know that was our main objective that season was was to to try and win promotion and it was a big job I must admit in terms of lifting the players um, because the following week we we had the Scottish Cup final uh, against Rangers and they had the break so they're going through it fresh and I, and I spoke to the players about not feeling sorry for themselves. We have to respond. Life's about opportunities. Um, and we've got, an, we've got an unbelievable opportunity, whether you like it or not, to put yourselves in the history books. Um, and we, we spoke about positivity all week. We, we had group meetings um, talking about it, um, about not letting the hangover from that game um last you know and you have a chance to go into the summer as 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 a piece of history and you know and so we proved in the end with 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 our victory over rangers people forget i think alan about the run to that final the team that you put together at hibs was was very resilient you look at the run to the final you you beat Hearts in the way to the final, had to go to a replay, yeah. Inverness went to a replay, and the semi-final against Dundee United went to penalties. But no matter what challenge was put in front of your team, you can back time and time again to earn that place in the final. When you're a manager preparing for such a major cup final, we consider Hibs history, over 100 years since they'd last won the trophy, it was it was a, a massive moment for the club. In the week league in, you mentioned there how you dealt with the players in meetings. Do you yourself feel a lot of nerves, but you try not to show it to the players, or do you just try and tackle everything head on? No, I, I think it was from my point of view is that I didn't want I didn't want the players to 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 see me feeling sorry for myself because that was an excuse for them. You know, even though I wasn't going to be doing that, you know, there was it was about you know I was saying to my staff about listen, we need to pick the players up, we need to be positive, we need to get them ready. Don't want anyone feeling feeling down. I'm open around the training ground, and I spoke with all the staff about this. Even you know, kit man, kit lady, other members of staff um, about not giving the players an excuse um, for the hangover to last. Um, and and you know, and and that's what we with the build up to that to that week was. You know, it was about trying to convince the players that even though they knew it, that they were good enough to win this game, um, which I, you know, I'm not just saying that, but I knew 100% within my within my mind that, that we could win that game because of the way we performed in previous games against them and because I had, I had total belief in the players that they were good enough to win that game. Um so, so that, that that was our that was our, our mindset going into going into the, 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 the Rangers game. The game itself is, is remembered by so many in Scottish football and it forever will be, not just because of the historic moment for Hibs, but the nature of the game itself. 
people forget Hibs were two one down in that game with ten minutes to go. Yeah. At that point, what are you thinking as a manager? Do you think of changing it, or do you still have belief, or is your belief starting to wane minute by minute? Well, I think there was there was a moment um, prior to to our to our League Cup final um, defeat that I had a press conference and we were in we in, in the press conference and at that time we were the only team that could that could still do the treble you know and and people you know I had and you just got the impression that a couple of the press guys you know laughed about that you know and didn't give the team enough credit in terms of how how they you know we we got you know the two of the biggest teams in Scotland and in terms of Celtic and Rangers and obviously other teams that were ahead of us at the time. And we were only the only team that could still, you know, do the treble. Um, because we still had the chance to, to win the league. We still had the chance we were in the the, the League Cup final and we were still in the in the Scottish Cup final and, and I think there was a there was a, a a certain degree of yeah, all right, good one, you know, type of thing. And the one thing that I you know we always spoke with the players is about the self belief and and even going into the final, you know, the players had been questioned of their mental character and mental strength because as far as other fans were, were, were concerned and, and the press were concerned, was that whenever Hibs got to anywhere close to a final or something like that, they bottled it. And there was a term called hipster. And, and I spoke with the players and I spoke with you know, the press and I said, listen, this is a, a lot of nonsense. This, you know, you, you know, this is, you know, how can you talk about Hibs that when they've actually got to a final? Um, and this, this is, and these were the meetings that I had with the players. You know, talking to them about, you know, getting there, the, you know, making sure that they, they control their emotions. You know, they, 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 they stay in control of their own destiny. Um, and the players were brilliant. You know, I must admit, the players were were absolutely magnificent in terms of how they, you know, got over the disappointments of of the the playoffs so quickly to be able to to rise to the challenge and especially going one 0 ahead in the game. With you know, after such a short, short such an early goal with Martin Stokes, and then yep. you know the Rangers go then two one ahead, and even. When Rangers scored, we we still looked. I I felt the stronger team, physically and mentally. Um, and then, you know, we we you can see us building up ahead of steam in the game. And for me, it was just inevitable that we were gonna we were gonna equalise. I actually didn't realise it was it was that time in the game when we equalised because I thought I thought we had more time to play than than that. Um, and I knew once we got the second that we, we would get another opportunity in the game. And, and so it proved. That moment in the last minute, Connor comes in, David Gray, or Sir David Gray, the Hibs fans call him, scores. Just yeah. how incredible a moment is that for you? Do you just lose it and just go absolutely mental? Because I'm not a Hibs fan, and I'll, I'll safely admit I was going mental because I just get caught up in it when I was watching it. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was. I think there's, there's something about cup finals and especially whether it's the Scottish Cup final or whether it's an English Cup final um, there's something about that last showpiece um, silverware of the season it's a special day and there's something about cup competitions that are very different to, to league campaigns um, and for me when the goal goes in you know I'm still trying to be calm as, as calm as I possibly can I knew we'd won the game then. You know, I knew there was no way back from, from Rangers' point of view um, for that. And it was just about, for me, it was about the, um, the fans, the players and the staff, you know, about the the satisfaction and the, and the, the euphoria that they, they, would have, they would have got from that. You know, the, the fans were probably the biggest on the day because of 
they'd always had it thrown at them. Um, about you know when I arrived at the club, it was 112 years. You know, and it was the first thing that one of the press spoke to me about. You know, is this going to be the year? You must have heard about, you know, the the the, the time it's taken for the Hibs to have got there, and um, it's been 112 years, and then it was 113 years, and obviously 114 the, the year that we won it. Um, so for me, it was you know it was it was great that because I I used to always say someone will do it. Whether it's me or whether it's someone else after me, someone will do it one day, you know. And then they have, they have to write about something else. And I'm glad to say, you know, now when I look back, is that the the, the, the manager that's in there now doesn't have to deal with that line of question: Is this going to be the year? In in terms of that moment, over a hundred years lifting the trophy, just even when the fans, sunshine and Leith, it was just a day that in Scottish football and for Hibs will never be forgotten because the atmosphere around it all, the the joy was was there to, and clear to see for for everyone watching and everyone there yeah. that day. What were the celebrations like? Taking the trophy around the town, celebrations from from your point of view as the manager and the players. I imagine they went on for a few days or weeks. <laughs> yeah, they did. You know, I think there's, you know, the the sunshine and leaf anthem is is you know is is something else. And you know, when you when you 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 hear it and you've seen it at the end of the game, you know, it's it's a. I think it, there's not many, you know, football songs that are that are attributed to clubs with which is so powerful. And I think you know you you look at obviously. Celtic, you never walk alone. Liverpool, you never walk alone. You know, and I think Sunshine Leith is right up there with as good as any when it's when it's when it's sung and it's in it's in full flow. And to see that at the end of the game, you know, of a, a sea of green and white with scarves and you know, grown men and women and children, you know, crying with emotion was. Was 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 totally you know amazing. The, the only thing, and it's a slight mark on on it, was the fact that we didn't get a chance to do a lap of honour. Um, yeah. But you know everything else was was just incredible. You know the, the following day, the the parade around the city, you know was 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 just jaw dropping. You know I think the players. I think everybody. I remember someone coming up to me and, and you know from from the from the club and saying, "Get yourself ready because you're never going to see anything. You've never ever seen anything like this in your life." And I just thought, "Yeah, okay. You know, there'll be a, quite a few. You know, there'll be a few thousand out and stuff. You know, but I think you know to see the scenes the following day, what they were was was just something I never ever thought I was I would, I would witness." You know, I think it was I think it was two hundred thousand, you know, in, in the capital land, the streets, you know, of of green and white, you know, singing songs. It was it was just it was it was it was it was it was something I'll never ever forget. A few individuals I want to ask you about from your hip side that won the cup. First of all being Conrad Logan. Um, a guy who came up and yeah. was ridiculed by certain elements in the media and opposition fans yeah, because he was. of his his body shape and whatever, but how, just how good was he? Because he played his part. He did. You know, we were we were struggling for the keeper. We'd obviously had, you know, um, oh, oh, his name's terrible. His name's just escaped me. Uh, the keeper got suspended up at um, at Inverness because stupidly his contact lens come out, and the referee thought he was time wasting and booked and booked him for a second yellow. Um, and that meant he was he was cup tied for the for, for the semi final, and we were scrambling around for for the keeper at the time, and there wasn't there wasn't hardly anything about, and Conrad's name was given to us. You know, unfortunately, he'd been injured for a, for a long time, and he was just cut back into training, and obviously that had an, had an effect on his on his on his body. And you know, yes, he was out of shape, he was carrying, you know. A few extra pounds, and he came up, and we said, "Listen, we'll have Lucky in training for a few days, and take it from there." And he came up, and he was, 
he was a big personality, um, big in every way, <laughs> if, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, but he showed me enough in training, uh, not just from his, his performance, but vocally, he was very, very good. Uh, and we went, we said to him, listen, you're going to need to lose a little bit of weight. We'll, we'll give you a program where we'll give you some extra training. But obviously, we'll be aware that we don't want to overtrain you and you get an injury. Um, and he was all up for it. And, you know, and, and when he came, I had no no questions whatsoever uh, about throwing him in. I had no qualm about it, you know. And was it, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I was surprised that he did as well as what he did. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't surprised in a way, you know, you know, because his, his, his actual, um, his ability in terms of his, his, his history, you know, he'd been at Leicester, you know, great reputation, you know, um, but I didn't think he, he, he would go on to do as well as what he, he, he did in the end. Two Mavericks I have to ask you about, Anthony Stokes and Jason Cummings. Were those two guys who were, they're known as big personalities, were they hard to manage at all or yeah. were they a joy to manage? And although their media perception is maybe seen as jokers and, and guys who maybe don't take life the most seriously at times, is that maybe the wrong impression that's out there of those two guys? Yeah, well, I think with Stokes, Stokes' obviously reputation goes goes ahead of him. And, he, you know, when he, he has got a a blip in him, you know, and I think obviously me or Celtic has, has come across that. You know, I come across it at at at, at Hibs, but I've, I've got to admit he wasn't hardly any trouble whatsoever with me. You know, he was he was great to to manage. You know, yes, you've got to give him a little bit more leniency than some of the players. Um, but um, in in terms of his general uh, behaviour and everything else. He was he was no problem whatsoever and, and a pleasure to coach. Um, he was he was more high maintenance than other, the other players. You know I think everybody knows that, but I think some manage, managers can be can be afraid of that. Whereas you know I wanted to work with them rather than against them, and I think he respected that. And same with Jason. Jason is just a character. Um, I think sometimes there's a little bit of insecurity there with him. That's why he tries to, you know, give off this big personality thing. But I think sometimes it's just for because he wants to be liked, um, which the players loved him anyways, you know. But um, he was he was he had he had he had ability, Jason. You know, the one thing that he that, that he had in abundance, obviously, was confidence. But his, his ability backed it up in terms of his of his finishing because he was a natural goal scorer. Um, so from the outside. Looking in, they probably look like two difficult um, personalities. But I've got to, I must admit, they, they weren't as difficult as what people people made out of times. I've got to ask you about John McGinn. A story, John McGinn's dad, Stephen, he actually taught me in high school. So through his dad teaching okay. me in high school, I, I followed John's career from, from when he, he came through at St Mirren. And obviously having his dad teach me... We, a lot of our class were always interested in him and what his brothers were up to because, as I say, we'd, we'd contact with him on a regular basis at school. Now, how good was he mm. at Hibs and are you surprised that Hibs didn't get more of a transfer fee for him considering his ability? Uh, I think he's very good. You know, I knew that. I knew that when I was signing him and, and he, he always come across me as a player that I thought the, the, the higher he goes, the better he gets. And you're seeing it at, at Hibs initially. You know, at one point I thought, you know, I had, I had as good as field as what was in Scotland. You know, with him, McGeoch, uh, and and Fraser Fifey, especially in in the Championship. Um, you know, maybe not as as Celtics, but the rest, I, th- I felt as if, if they them three were as good as anybody on the day. McGinn um, was McGinn McGinn was a special talent because. He he had a he had a he had a driving force where himself as an individual wanted to be as good as what he what he possibly could be. Um and, and I think when you've got that, you've always got a chance. 
Um, so that was no surprise to me. Um, with 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 him going to what did surprise me, and I, and I, I can understand from from Leanne's interview with him in terms of the fee that. I spoke with Leanne, you know, on a, on a couple of occasions about what I thought he was worth, and I always said, you know, you look, you're looking at, you know, three, five million to start off, but because of John's contract situation, you know, I think the club's hands were tied a little bit that they didn't want to lose him for nothing, um, and it was always going to get to the stage where the um, they were going to have to make a, a call on um, when that time was going to be. So they, um, sorry, I'm just trying to do two things at once here, Colin. Sorry. Um, so, um, so he was very good, you know. And I think John's going to ha- have another big move in him at some point, you know. And I think we're, we're probably looking at, I, I think, in the region of twenty-five to thirty-five million. I think for for him the way he's been performing down here um, in England in the Premiership he's took it by storm. He's obviously had links with Man United. Um, whether they're true or not, I don't know, but it doesn't surprise me. In terms of yourself, Alan, I'm kind of putting you on the spot with this question. Why did you choose to yeah. to leave Hibs for Rotherham? Obviously, winning the Scottish Cup was it a case of that's the, the yeah. biggest day in the club's history in a long time. Did you feel that it was better to go when your stock was at an all-time high? Yeah, that was the only that was the reason, um, you know. So that was why it was difficult. Um, I just feel as if you know, winning winning the cup, you know, was it going to get any better? Um, and looking back now, I've said it before. Um, I've got no no issue with saying that I, I made a mistake. You know, simple as that. If I could turn back the clock. You know, I, it would, I would do things very differently, but unfortunately, I'm, 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 I'm not in that position to, to do that. When you go to Rotherham, was it just a completely different in, in environment to what you were used to at Hibs? And why did you choose Rotherham in the first place? I think it was just a chance that it was, the, it was because it was the Championship in England, and I thought, you know, if, it, if I go there, it's, it's, it's obviously one of the most competitive leagues in. In, in Europe, um, it could be a chance for me to to go there, do well, and it, and then it leads to other things. Um, but unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. Um, you know, basically, you speak to the people; they they want to change everything about the club, and then when you get in there, they them them them, them changes that you spoke about in the initial meeting, you know, go out the window. Um, you know, I was I was reading something the other day. You know about about the chairman, and and, and unfortunately, this is the type of people that you're working with. You know, he he he. You know, he's come out in the, in the press to protect himself about a player that we tried to sign uh, while I was there, uh, and, and he said it was me that uh, they offered 1.5 million, and I said don't go above that because it's not worth anymore, which is a total lie. Uh, I was in the car on the way home. One, on a Friday when I got a phone call from the chairman to say Lee Gregory do you want him I said yes he's, the, he's, he's, he's as good as what we can buy in that division for that money I'd love to have him he went okay I'm going to get him I went fantastic literally within one minute I had, a, I had a phone call from the chief executive to say Alan we can't do this this could ruin the club financially this is not what, what we're about and I said Paul uh, I said it wasn't me you rang the chairman just rang me and asked me would do one I said yeah I said so I've not instigated anything and he's gone we can't do this we can't do this I said listen Paul I said if you can do it great if you can't you can't no problem and then I find out the following day he comes into my office before the game the following day and says Alan listen I'm really sorry about that yesterday the chairman was in the golf club with a few of his friends had a couple of zincs and was given the big iron and that's what that's what I was dealing with, and I think that's probably the best example Absolutely. that I can give you what I was dealing with. In terms of Rotherham, you mentioned the fact that you you look back and leaving Hibs for them is a mistake. When you when you go to Rotherham, it's a tough time, and when you leave the club, and you 
when you lose your job, it's never a relief. But are you thinking, right, best of a bad situation, I'm out of here now, I can then come back to Scotland or find another club in England and rebuild my career? Yeah, a little bit. But, you know, I was, I, I'll admit it was the most relieved, not just for me, but for my staff when we left Northern because of what we were having to, to work with uh, in terms of the environment and everything. It was probably the most difficult environment uh, I've ever I've ever come across. Um, but then you have a chance to to take stock and and reflect and and you know and you and you move on and uh, you know move on to me to my next job, St Mirren. Uh, I when you look back now, was that the only reason why I took the job because I just wanted to get back into football and, and back into management. Um, and in, and in hindsight, it was the same. You know. The chairman there had spoken to Leanne. Obviously, Leanne had told them about what I'd done at Hibs. You know, they were impressed by that. That's what they wanted to do. You go and speak to them and you put a presentation on, tell them how you want to play and everything. And then, you know, you get in there and you know, the budget is very tight in terms of what you want, the, the calibre of player that you want to bring to the club. I'll admit, I had to take too many gambles in terms of play, trying to sign players for for the money that you've, you've got available, and when you when you're making gambles, unfortunately, gambles don't always work. Come off, um, and it was just it was just a it was it was a difficult. You just got the impression that the chairman listened to the players, and 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 some of his friends who were fans more than what he was listening listening to to, to me, um, and 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 inevitably. You know, it was only going to last or end in one way. You know, St Mirren, it's a good little club. Um, but for some reason, you know, you know you've know, got people there who think they're a top four club. When when budget's bottom two, you know, how can you become a, a top four club? It just doesn't go hand in hand. Um, and, and, and obviously the, the managers who have come in after me have, 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 have found the same, the same, same problems. Um, so yeah, so you know, difficult. I'm not going to say it's all the other club's fault, obviously, because I've I have made, you know, mistakes and all there. Uh, but you, you move on, you know, life moves on. There's no point dwelling on, on things too much. You you mentioned that, and I must say, from a, a football fan, when you get hired by St Mirren, I saw it as a coup for the club, considering what you had had done at Hibs, and it seemed that yeah. it, it seemed like an appointment that would fit because. You're known for playing a good brand of football. It's something that I thought would have connected there, and for whatever reason, it didn't. Now, one thing I want to to clarify with you, and I want to give you the opportunity to clarify this, because one of the things you were criticised for at St Mirren um, by certain pundits on BBC Scotland and elsewhere was a lack of man management skills. Now, I just want to give you a platform to explain the situation behind that, because from the outside looking in, it just seems like something very strange. If you had no man management skills, you would never have done what you did with Hibs, so I just want to give you a platform yeah. to clarify those comments, because to me at the time, they were quite disrespectful. Well, I think it's, I think when you look at, if you ask any any player, you know, that it's, especially the players that are working with at Hibs, in terms of man management, you know, that was probably one of my strengths. The problem, I think the problem at at um, at St Midden is that there was there was a couple of players there that were too influential in terms of the dressing room, and what happens is that when you want to try and move the club on because you don't think them players are going to cut it in the Premier League, then they have the year of, of certain individuals in the dressing room, um, and I think what it is they didn't really take to, to a couple of the English lads that came up. Rightly or wrongly, um, but all I'd, I all I would say is that the players that I was looking to get rid of or or to move on is a better term. Um, where are the players that never hardly played last season or are playing this season? So, so which which justifies to me that I was I was right. Um, you know, the, the problem is is that you can't. You can't bring in the caliber of players that you necessarily need unless you've got a proper recruitment structure in, in place, which the club didn't have. Um, and it was something that I was I was adamant that we needed.
needed to have, you know, but people people want change, but they're not prepared to pay for change. Um, and that is that is the problem, you know. I give you talk, give you an idea. People talk about man management. I had two players at, at, at Hibs, uh, sorry, at St Mirren, Adam Exley and Gary McKenzie, uh, who I didn't think were going to play that much. I spoke with Adam Eckersley uh, when we were away pre-season. I said, Adam, listen, just give me the opportunity where you're not necessarily going to play as much as what you might like. If you would like to find another club, you're more than welcome. I think that's good man management. You know, Adam Eckersley, down tools, didn't train or kick another ball from that day. So that's not my fault. You know, he just then, you know, tried to be awkward. Um, Gary McKenzie's attitude was really good. Probably didn't wasn't happy that I'd said that to him, but his attitude was still good in terms of training. Um, and then one of the reasons when I come to lose the job in the room with uh, the chairman and and Tony was was players player unrest and was them two individuals that I'd never had an argument with. I spoke to spoke to them like adults and that was used as one of the reasons that there's players unrest and Tony Fitzpatrick wanted Adam Eckersley out of the club as much as anybody. And when I said to Tony, I said, you mean Adam Eckersley, if you want out of the club? He then said, Alan, I disagree with what the chairman just said. Yes, yeah, you're right. So that's, that's what you're dealing with. And that's, that's a fact. You know, there's no lies with that. You know, and anyone wants to say it's a lie or lying. You know, I've got no reason to lie about that whatsoever. That's a fact. That's what you're dealing with. Absolutely, and thank you for that insight. Because as a as a football fan, there's you know what it's like. It must, as a manager, be a challenge for you when fans are screaming from the terraces or online saying we should be doing this and doing that. But a lot of the time, we don't really know the full story from behind the scenes at any club. No. And I think you have to look at the same way, just to give you an idea. They didn't have a pre-season planned. They had certain games, they had a game against Bolton because Bolton went into, uh, were having financial problems at the time um, with the players. So therefore, you, 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 you've got a disruptive pre-season. We were in a group, we qualified from the group. On the last game, you had we won, I think, 6-0 at home, which is their biggest home win since they've moved to, to the new new stadium. It's the first time they've qualified from the group stages um, in the in the League Cup. And in our first uh, four games, we we went to Tynecastle away and we went to Ibrox away and we played Dundee at home in the first game we won. And then we lost to Livingston. So I would have thought, realistically, you know, four points from them, from them four games would have been reasonable. So we had three, so we were we were a point off that, you know, and they were the reasons that they said they were they were said that they, you know. So when I said to the chairman in the meeting, you know, do you not think that's reasonable? And he was like, well, um, um, um. so, you know, there has to be some some sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Realistic or realism when yeah. you're looking at football results, um, you know. And unfortunately, I think you had other people in the chairman's ear um, talking about things rather than looking at it for what it for what it is. Um, but you, you know, sometimes if that's the case. Unfortunately, it doesn't help you. But you're better off being away from them people, you know, uh, because that's a sign of things to come. From where you are now, Alan, we talked at the start of the podcast about you managing your own football academy now. You're really enjoying that. You're coaching um, groups of young people and, and you're helping develop them. Are you looking to get back into management again? And if so, whereabouts are you considering? Would you be considering somewhere down in England or would you consider a return to Scottish football? To be honest, I'm not necessarily thinking I've got to get back in at this moment in time. You know, I'm enjoying what I'm what I'm doing right now, um, which is which is obviously important. 
Um, you know, when you when you think about the 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 individuals that, in terms of uh, at the clubs that I've just spoke about, yeah, people would would probably listen to this and think, why in here would you put yourself through that again? Because you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm always one of you know you get what you see, whereas unfortunately as a manager you don't get what you see in terms of sometimes the people that you're dealing with, the few and far between you now, uh, and that's the problem that managers managers have they don't necessarily, it's it's more of a problem dealing up now than what it is dealing down and what I mean by that it's more, more of an issue dealing with with the board and, and members from that point of view than what it is with the players at times because of, of, of what their expectations are um, whether they're realistic whether they're unrealistic um, you know basically now managers I think have to overachieve all the time you know as as in you think about it with, with St Mirren you've got the chief executive coming out and saying we're a top four club but the, their budget is in the bottom four. You know, exactly. I think you know you don't have to, you don't have to be bright to think that. You know, two and two. That makes you know makes four. That you know for that you haven't you haven't to, to be basically become a magician at times. Absolutely, and what I'd like to finish with is a quick round of quick fire questions. Best players you played with? Yeah. Favourite. Sorry, was that? Best players you played with? Best players played with um, Wayne Rooney, and I'll keep it at two. And Henrik Larsson. Best players you played against? Oh, too many. Um, I'll go from a list of uh, Bearcamp, uh, Shearer, Zola, Drogba. Fowler, the list the list can go on. Unfortunately, <laughs> I was very lucky. Henri, um, you know, I was very. I, I look at myself as very lucky to be able to, you know, when people say the best player you've played against, you know, to, to be able to reel off all these Absolutely. all these names as, you know, because for me they are the best players I think that I've ever faced the Premiership. The best manager in your career? Ooh, tough, tough, tough. Uh, I would have to go Martin. Martin O'Neill, good choice. Um, most yeah. underrated player you played with? Um, not it wouldn't be underrated in Scotland, but in terms of underrated, probably down here, I would I would in terms of how good he was, I would say Lubo Maracic. Absolutely. What about the best players you pl- you've managed? Best players managed. Um, John McGinn. Would have to be the best player I've managed. Um, that the other two, there was no one at the same level level as what John McGinn was at. Who would you say are the toughest team you've had to prepare a team that you're managing to play against? Um, it would have to be well. In Scotland, it would have to be Rangers. Um, from that point of view, in terms of their their wealth and their budget compared to what you what everyone else is on um, in the Championship in England, you would look at there's a number of teams there. Um, I'd have to go Rangers. A question I've got is Thomas Gravison. You played with him. Just how much of a crazy yeah. character is he? Yeah, he's a he's a he's a he's a lovely guy. He's a he's a real nice guy, but an absolute oddball. You know, whether he's, <laughs> I'm hoping he's, he's settled down a little bit now, Tommy, because as a player, he was he was he was like daft as a brush. <laughs> a few non-football related questions. Favorite band? Favorite band. Um, I would say, as an individual, I do like. Um, oh God, best band, 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 band. Coldplay. Um, favorite film? 
sorry, film. Yeah. Um, Shawshank Redemption. Ah, good choice. Um, beach holiday or city break? Beach holiday. And last two questions. Could you give me a five-a-side team from your time at Celtic? Yeah. Um, in goal, I would have to go... I'd have to go Jonathan Gould just because of his value to the, to the squad. He was a great lad. Um, Larson up front. Um, De Canio, one side. Maracic, the other side. And one at the back, I would go for myself. Is that allowed? Of course it is, absolutely. And going for yeah, your Celtic go five-a-side, who's your Everton five-a-side? Um, Rooney. Um, I'd go for Tim Howard in goal. No, yeah, Tim Howard in goal. Um, I'd go for... Jesper Blomquist um, midfield I'm going to throw Tommy in it actually He's, <laughs> just because in five side he was brilliant and all he'd be good at that um, who else um, one more I think I'd probably go for even though he wasn't necessarily great at Everton in terms of what he was he was like oh Gazette and um, David Ginola Brilliant. And the big million dollar question is who's going to win that game? Five aside Celtic or five aside Everton? Oh, oh, oh. oh that's, too, that's too tough. <laughs> um, that's a harsh one. Um, Brilliant, Alan. It's been a pleasure. I'll be honest with you, this has been one of my favourite interviews so far. I've enjoyed your honesty on a, a whole range of topics and I wish you all the best going forward and I hope the, the charity event raises a lot of money for a very good cause. All right, no problem at all. Thanks, Colin. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song